grant, O Lord, that thy word only may be spoken and thy word only may be received. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. This morning, beloved, I beg your patience that I may take a brief liberty to turn a critical eye on the culture of modern American religion. Now, if you look at the landscape of Christianity today, you will find something that would be rather odd and in some cases unidentifiable to someone who was a Christian in the first millennium of the reign of our Lord Jesus Christ. The odd thing to this first millennium Christian would be the notion of the individual. Today's religious climate, everything it seems revolves around the individual. The notion of salvation itself has become something that requires nothing more than an individual relating to God. The entire scope of salvation circles around only the individual and Jesus. The necessity of the church, the community of believers, is in our own day thought of at best as secondary and more commonly as something that's not essential, not important. The idea of church itself has changed as well. Where once it was seen as the kingdom of God on earth, the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, the presence of God Almighty, the most important and central thing in life, a thing that gives life itself, the intersection of heaven and earth where they join and meet and intertwine, a thing that possesses the highest authority and utmost respect. It is now nothing more than one option among many in our lives. And many congregations and church bodies have responded to this idea of the individual alone above all else. And church attendance is one option among many. Many churches are now run and operated as consumer products, catering to this individual. Church marketing is now a multi-billion, multi-billion dollar industry that pays very close attention to trends and to turns in consumer America. These churches have taken up an amenity-based principle for operation. That is to say they work extremely hard at providing amenities, goods and services for the individual the latest and greatest in cutting-edge worship and technology, the newest and hippest in sights and sounds, the biggest bang for your buck. The whole environment of these places is not much different than an entertainment venue or an amusement park. Some have even gone so far as to provide retail outlets with unique branding within their campuses. Coffee shops, gyms and spas, auto mechanics, clothing stores, Great efforts are made to ensure the most positive emotional experience for this individual consumer of Christianity. No longer is a church treated as the seat of God's authority or the kingdom on earth, but as one competitor among many in capitalism, as companies competing for the dollar and loyalty of individual Christians. 
Gone are the days of dogma, doctrine, and discipline. These are now private, individual beliefs. Rather, these are the days of the emotional experience and the good and positive vibe of being affirmed, of being entertained. Now, I turn a critical eye on American religion, not so much to church bash, for we ourselves are guilty, but to propose the idea that to many people today's gospel lesson from St. Matthew is a completely foreign and unintelligible thing. For we read this morning, my brothers and sisters in Jesus Christ, the founding principle and teaching for what is known as excommunication. Now when we hear the word excommunication, our mind, I'm sure, wanders to the big screen to movies, where priests are brought into the church, have their habits and vestments ripped off of them, their heads shaved, and they're thrown into the hinterland, presumably to their perdition. Or you might remember back to your history lessons in school, where St. John of Arc was excommunicated and burned at the stake unjustly, and really and truly as a criminal act against an innocent and heroic woman. Or perhaps you've been watching the History Channel lately, and your mind ventures to the medieval inquisitions, where political figures were condemned unto death at the hands of totalitarian tyrants who sought the ruin of other governments. Now, we turn a critical eye to these things, and it's no wonder that a suspicion of authority arose in regards to the church. But at its heart, and when used correctly and obediently, we see in the gospel this morning a great act of love and of mercy and of kindness. An act that is generous and has at its aim repentance and forgiveness and wholeness, salvation. If your brother sins against you, go tell him his fault between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you have gained your brother. Now here, Jesus instructs us, the Christian church, in the ways of community, how we deal with one another, in the authority of the church, in the way we interact. Now, in the Roman culture of biblical times and in most other cultures throughout recorded history, our own modern one included, if a person sins against you, the first thing you do is sue them, right? Or you retaliate in some way against them. But within the life of the church, we are not to do that. We are not to confront them. I mean, we are to, excuse me. We are to confront them alone and try to overcome and forgive the sin, not sue them. Now, the sin could be anything from business dealings to adultery to lying to theft and the aim of this private confrontation is to help the sinner clean the distortion and save his soul. If this private confrontation does not work, we're not through. There's a next step. One or two, a small group is brought in to bring perspective and to try to correct the sin and error and save the soul of he who is sin-filled and now stubborn. But if he does not listen, take one or two others along with you that every word may be confirmed by the evidence of two or three witnesses. Now, if that doesn't work, there's a final step. If the small group intervention fails, you bring the problem before the whole church. 
Matthew 18, 17. If he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and tax collector. Now imagine for a second. It's hard. Very hard. It's very hard for me to even imagine this. One parishioner sins against another parishioner. Attempts at repentance fail. The result, they come into the gathered congregation in an attempt for repentance. It's hard to fathom that scene. There are, however, Christian communities who do this to this day. Who bring unrepentant sinners before the whole church. And have the whole church try and reason, love the sinful person. Now to the modern American mind, this seems crude, invasive, barbarous, archaic. It is not something we could probably ever see ourselves engaging in. The modern American will probably more likely say, well, I'll just find a church home that affirms me, that has meaningful, exciting worship, that does not pry into my private and personal life. I'll find a church that would never dream of doing something like that. But we learn, brothers and sisters, we learn why the church would bother to pry into our personal lives at the end of the gospel, 1818. Truly I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The church pries into our private lives because the church contains within it salvation contains the authority, the presence of Jesus Christ. The church desires, longs that humans live and not die in their sin. So then if a person falls into sin, that is to say endangers their soul, the church is supposed to take extraordinary measures to try and save that person. They are to spend great amounts of time and energy exhaustive amounts of time and energy and acts of love and mercy to not pry into the lives of her members in this sense is seen as cruel and heartless and barbarous so whereas the secular culture cares very little for the spiritual health of the individual refuses to pry the Christian church goes well out of its way expends every possible effort to show the sinful to the kingdom and to life. Now we Anglicans still possess this notion of excommunication. We handle it in much the same manner as our brothers and sisters in the Eastern Orthodox Church. If a person is guilty of grievous and notorious sin and is unrepentant, the priest has the authority to not allow them to communion until they repent and make reparation. But if you read and study very closely the canons or laws that guard and guide this act of excommunication, it is a last resort, the last resort. It is an extreme measure. That is to say that the priest and really and truly the entire congregation is supposed to exhaust every single possibility, every possible possibility and bringing someone to repentance. 
we are called to great and exhaustive links and extreme measures to save one another, to work towards the salvation of each other. Now bearing that in mind, the idea of excommunication is not so much as to cast someone to their perdition, but to wake them up. It's a last ditch effort to wake them up. The church has always considered participation in the Holy Eucharist essential for salvation. Going back to the idea of the church itself being essential for salvation. So to remove someone from participation in the Eucharist has it as intention, the idea of forcing, waking up the unrepentant person to examine their soul and hopefully, hopefully repent. Knowing that being away from the Eucharist is being away from life itself and hoping that person realizes that. This process is prayerful, exhaustive, involves the entire church, has many, many measures before it, all working for the salvation of the person who refuses to repent. So, my brothers and sisters, now that we all know more about excommunication than we ever wanted to know, let's take to heart today's gospel lesson. Do not think of the church as a place that caters to our wishes and wants, as a place that provides us with goods and services, amenities, not as a place that is one option among many we may choose from, but as the place that contains life, the place that longs and desires and seeks the best for us, the community that will take every effort, heroic and exhaustive efforts to save our souls, the place that is none other than the kingdom of God on earth, the place where our salvation lies. And let us remember our duty as churchmen and churchwomen. We are called to work towards the salvation of each other, to help each other gain our salvation, to help each other live lives that are grace and spirit filled. We are called to be actively and lovingly involved in the lives of each other, always seeking that which is best, always helping to correct those things that are amiss in each other. So let us pray today that we do not treat the church as a consumer product, but as a place where God dwells. Let us pray that we seek the help we need to have eternal life here. Let us pray we remember this place is a place that gives life and let us work to the end of giving life and salvation to others. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit.